Well, good good morning, IEC. Good to see everyone here. Uh, missed you last week. I was uh, at our south campus in Debra's 8, IEC Debra's 8, and got to worship with them and preach there. And it was a uh, true blessing. I encourage you, if you ever find yourself down in Debra's 8, Babagayo, in that area on a Sunday morning, go worship with the IEC uh, location down there. It is a true blessing. And uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was the singing. You could truly hear the congregation singing. Uh, maybe it was the building or something about it, but it was a, a really beautiful and wonderful experience that I would encourage you, if uh, you find yourself there, to go and worship down there. Thankful for Alam Seged and bringing the word last week as we continue on in the book of Philippians. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And uh, as you're turning there, just a reminder, today is our final week of what we've called International Month. And really what we've wanted to do this month is celebrate God's work among all the nations of the earth, among all the peoples of the earth. It's a beautiful, glorious thing. And Asia is the largest continent on earth, both in terms of land and in terms of population. Over half of the world's population lives in Asia. 4.6 billion people live in Asia. Yet only 8% would claim Christianity. And of those 8%, only 3.5% would be what we call evangelical Christian. And again, that's a term I'll use from time to time. It's actually in the name of our church, the International Evangelical Church. And that word has, be, uh, has began to mean a lot of different things, but I always like to clarify, here's what we mean. It means you believe the Bible is true when we use the word evangelical. It means that we believe that Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Christ. We believe in personal conversion. You're not born a Christian. No, you become a Christian. God redeems you. You place your faith in Him. We believe in sharing our faith. We believe it's something meant to be shared with other people. So when we use the term evangelical, that's what we're referring to. And uh, we celebrate the work that God is doing in Asia. God is working all over that continent. I've had the pleasure of getting to travel there many times and work with many different groups throughout uh, China and the Philippines and uh, various parts of Asia. And it is a glorious experience to see what the Lord is doing. Well, if you would, let's look at our passage for today, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. It reads, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word says that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, unless you speak today, nothing of significance will be spoken, so speak, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, today, I, uh, in our passage, I've actually got an outline for us. It's not something I typically have. I usually just look at the scripture and say, God, what is the main point of this scripture, and what do you have for our body and sometimes an outline will come to mind, but today I think an outline is particularly helpful. We uh, are talking about gospel fulfillment. What does it look like to be fulfilled in the gospel, to live out of the gospel? That's the passage Paul's in. He's talking about sanctification. And we get three points on this. We're going to see first, we follow the faithful. Secondly, we're going to see that we flee the enemies of Christ. And third, we're going to see that we focus on heaven. So three simple points today. Follow the faithful, flee the enemies of Christ, and focus on heaven. So first point, follow the faithful. We see in verse 17, Paul starts off with the word brothers. He's clearly speaking to Christians, and he says, Join in imitating me. Paul often will point to himself and say, imitate me. We've seen that earlier in this book. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And when we talked about some examples Paul was setting before the body, again, he says, join in imitating me. Join in imitating Paul. Now, that's not an arrogant statement at all. It sounds like one, but Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says that, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, when we come to church, you don't look for a church that primarily exhorts you to follow a bunch of rules, to try to be a, a, a good person by keeping a bunch of exterior moral rules. No, those are a part of the Christian faith, but you want to come to a church that says this, be like Christ. That's the whole point of the Christian life. That we become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And Paul is not afraid to point to himself and say, follow me as I follow Christ. And this verse that we see today in 17, it's all about what we call discipleship. That's the heart of Jesus' strategy for reaching the world for his glory. He gave it to his disciples. His strategy is one of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You see, as we mature in Christianity, as we mature in our faith, we become those more and more who are about the work of making disciples. That becomes our focus. The, the more we grow in our faith, all the other stuff begins to sort of fall aside and begin to focus more and more and more on investing what God has done in our life into the life of another person. Now, I'll tell you one of the challenges 
of the word discipleship and the idea of discipleship is it's difficult. It can be quite hard. Jesus mentions this word, or it's mentioned in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, more than 270 times, this word disciple or discipleship. Jesus, in his last words to his followers in Matthew 28, he tells them, commands them to go make disciples of all nations. That's why each week when you come here to church, one of the first things we do when we uh, greet you, we say, welcome to the International Evangelical Church, where our aim is to make disciples of all nations for the glory of God. That's the call of the church. That's the call of the church corporate, all of us here. But don't miss this. You, as an individual follower of Jesus Christ, are called by your Savior Jesus Christ, or commanded by your Savior Jesus Christ, to be about the work of making disciples. To live any other way as a Christian is to live outside of how God has designed you. It's one of the greatest joys that we have is the work of making disciples. Now, when we talk about this, this word gets used for a lot of different things. For example, if I told you, if I said, hey, I want you to think of a crown. Crown. What do you think of? When I say that word crown, what, what comes to mind? It's an image probably a child could draw. You probably think of something that looks a bit like what we're going to put on the screen here. This gold crown, right? That's what you, you think of when I say, hey, make a crown for me. But if I said to Evan, our Filipino brother who just prayed, if I said, hey, Evan, would you make me a crown? He's not going to make that. I want to show you what Evan's going to make if I ask him to make a crown. He's going to make something that looks like this. Because Evan's a dentist. And when I say I need a crown, Evan, he's going to make something different than the crown you put on your head. He's going to make a crown that goes over a tooth. I say that because words can mean different things to different people. And when we talk about the word disciple, we want to be biblically faithful to what did Jesus mean by disciple. Because in our day and time, the word disciple has come to mean everything from a convert to a professing believer to someone who's committed to following Christ. When we talk about discipleship, some people will say, well, of course I'm about discipleship. I'm in a Bible study. Of course I'm about discipleship. I go to church. Uh, of, of course I'm about discipleship. I'm in a small group where we hold each other accountable. Uh, of course I'm about discipleship. I share my faith. And I'll tell you, all those things are good. And all those things are an aspect of discipleship. But if left alone, we fall far short of Jesus' standard of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples. He taught them truth. He spent life with them, building them, shaping them. And when he left, 
in Matthew 28, he tells them to go make disciples. The command he gives them is go make disciples. Don't you think Peter would go, hey, Jesus, can you tell us how to do that? Hey, Jesus, what do you mean make disciples? How do we do that, Jesus? There's no Q&A. Why? Because Peter knew. Jesus had discipled Peter to the point that it's Peter, you go do for others exactly what I've done for you. You've modeled it. You've tasted it. You've experienced it. You go do it. And I tell you, if the enemy wants to distract us, the church, from one thing, it's making disciples. You see, discipleship starts with conversion. And some people think discipleship is merely leading a person to Christ. Well, that's an aspect of discipleship. That's the starting point. Discipleship has evangelism built into it. But no, it's maturing a believer to the point that they can lead another person to Christ and mature that believer. Parents, you raise kids. Your goal one day is for your kids to leave home and one day they'll probably get married and they'll have more children. They'll have children on their own and they'll raise them. That's what you're raising them for, to go live a life out on their own. That's what discipleship looks like. But sadly, the enemy has great victories in keeping the church filled with baby Christians who are afraid to gauge in discipleship, who are afraid to engage someone else and encourage them in their faith. The man who discipled me told me this. He said, all you got to know is a little more than the person you're discipling. Because when you're investing in somebody, when you're helping someone grow in the Word, when you're showing them life, oh, you become hungry. Your, your spiritual life takes off. You want your faith to take off? You begin investing in others, and your life will be transformed. It'll change you. I think Paul gives one of the best definitions of what discipleship looks like. Because again, this is one of those things that gets defined a lot of different ways. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. I've talked about the church in Philippi being perhaps Paul's greatest church. If the church in Philippi isn't Paul's greatest church, the church in Thessalonica is. Those were Paul's two best churches. And Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in, chapter, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he says this. So being affectionately desires of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. In this, word, in this passage, Paul shares two things, two things that he shared with this church in Thessalonica. The gospel. Discipleship always involves the truth. Discipleship always involves taking the truth of God's word and impressing it into another person. Secondly, he says we shared our lives. Discipleship always involves life on life. There's a few ways you could define this. One of the best ways I know is discipleship is truth and life transferred 
in the context of a real relationship. It's transferring the truth to another person and not just the truth, but how you live it out. You see, even in a church our size, you may hear me preach week after week. And I'll tell you, preaching is an aspect of discipleship. It's a part of it. It brings us together under God's Word and we can discuss that. But for most of you, you won't see how I interact with my wife, not on a day-to-day basis, how I treat my children on a day-to-day basis, the time I spend in prayer, the time I spend in the Word. You're not going to see those things. You need someone that you do. We need someone that we experience that with. D.L. Moody said, of a hundred men who don't know the Lord, maybe one will read the Bible. The 99, they'll read the person. Paul talks about being an example here. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you are all an example. Every person in this room is an example to somebody else. You are impacting other people. You're impacting those around you. Parents, you're impacting your children. You're impacting those you work with. You're impacting those who come in the office. We all are an example to somebody else. Question is, what type of example are you? After being around you, do people see Jesus more? Do people hunger for Christ more? Do they want Christ more after being around you? It's undeniable that we're examples. Don't say, I don't want to be an example. You already are. Some people's example and the impact of it spreads wider than others. That's not the issue. The issue is we are faithful. You see, knowing that we are an example is one of the greatest calls to Christian maturity. Your life's not your own. You're bought with a price. And our example, Paul points to himself We're to be able to point to ourselves. It's not arrogance. It's to say, I'm seeking to follow Christ. You seek to follow Christ. Paul tells them to join. I love that word. This is not a solo mission. Discipleship is not just you and your quiet time in the Bible, you and Jesus. That's a part of it. But let me tell you, if you do not have a brother or sister in Christ who's a little bit more spiritually mature, maybe a step ahead, or maybe even in the same place, who's encouraging you, challenging you in your faith, then your faith will quickly grow cold and will never mature to the place that God would have it. We need one another. You need other people. You need other Christians. It's not designed, your faith is not designed to be something you do alone. That's why Paul says here, join, imitating me. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example. Watch, observe those who walk according to the faith. You see, discipleship doesn't happen at a distance. It happens up close and personal. Perhaps the three and a half years that have been the most spiritually impactful in my life were three and a half years I spent being discipled by a man named Roy Soup Campbell. 
Every Tuesday morning, 5 a.m., I was at Soup's house, along with six other guys. And we sat around a table, and he encouraged us. He challenged us. He taught us the truth of God's Word. But he didn't just teach us. We'd go on trips with him. We'd come eat meals at his house and see how he treated his wife, Linda. We'd watch how he treated his children. I got to see him up close and personal. And when you do that, you'll see that he's not perfect. I know he's not a perfect man. I could tell you areas God's still working on him in. But the beautiful thing was, I was with a group of guys being challenged. And we could look at each other and go, let's keep running. Let's keep going. Let's keep chasing after the Lord. You need other people. And the enemy wants you to buy a lie that you don't really have anything to invest in anybody else. You're not far enough along. You don't know enough. You don't have it figured out. No, that's a lie. We take the word of God. We begin to invest in others. You need other people. My biggest desire for us here at IC is that we be a church that takes discipleship seriously. That we make disciples who make disciples. That every person in this congregation would be in a group where they're known, loved, and cared for, and they're challenged in their faith. That's the greatest desire I have. I love to come up here and preach on a Sunday morning, but I know it will only mature the body so far. It's only going to grow you so far. You need other people. Our church wants to help with that. We're going to have a big push come September, come New Year, Ethiopian New Year that is, to really get everybody to look at every one of our members and say, you need to be in a group. You need to be somewhere where you're known, loved, and cared for. Many of you already are. Some of you get after this and go figure it out on your own. Some of you, you may be needing some help. As your church, we want to help you. But this has to be something we desire. This has to be something we pursue. And the enemy wants you to know, to think that you really don't need this. Look at, look at the next thing he says here. Verse 18, For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you with tears. Just hear that word for a minute. Paul doesn't cry much. I picture Paul being a pretty tough dude. What makes him cry? It's these folks that are enemies of the cross that are following the wrong example. Be careful of the example you follow. For those of you parents, one of the greatest things you often look at is your kids and you say, who are my kids hanging out with? Who are the example they're following? Because you know this as a parent. Whatever your kids' friends are doing, good chance. That's what your kid's doing as well. You see, examples can be great. We need good examples. We need robust examples that point us to Christ. We need people to encourage us. But there's something we've got to flee. We are to flee those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I want to be careful here and not go in balance. Jesus loved the sinner. 
Jesus hung out with sinners. He spent time with sinners, okay? That's not what we're saying here. We're not saying run away from the sinner. We're saying flee the influence of the enemies of the cross. Don't allow those to be the people that influence you. You influence them, not the other way. But here's the thing. If you are spending all your time or too much time with enemies of the cross and not enough time with those who are examples of Christ-like living, their example is going to begin to impact you more. Now you need, you desperately need to be spending time with those who follow Christ. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. In discipleship, as someone matures you and grows you, you begin to become more and more like the Christ in that person. Don't expect someone who disciples you or invest in you to be perfect. But pursue it. Seek it. So Paul cries. He has tears over these who walk as enemies of the cross. Listen to what he says about these enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. A few weeks ago, we saw a group of people that were known as the Judaizers. They were legalists. They added to the gospel. If you're really a Christian, here's what you've got to do. They add. This group of people that we see today are what we call the libertine, meaning they say, if you're a Christian, you can do whatever you want. Christ has forgiven your sin. You're free to go sin and do whatever you want. They believed it was a license. No. That's, treating the, that's living as an enemy of the cross. You see, when you realize your sin sent Jesus to the cross... You're not going to look and go, oh, I'm free to go sin more because Jesus has forgiven me. That's true. He has forgiven you. But you mourn. You grieve. You go to war with sin because you know it's destructive. These folks are just doing whatever they want. Look at what it says about them. It says, their God is their belly. Meaning whatever they desire, that's what they do. They live for this world. They're led by their fleshly desires. Those are the people that don't influence us. As a Christian, we're to be disciplined. Last week we talked about the sanctification process. It takes effort. You do the work, God does the work. That's sanctification. You can't do it. Only God can do it. But you've got to do it. It's a paradox. Sanctification works that way. No, these people live as God, is their, their belly is their God. It says their glory is their shame. We're seeing that all over our world today. What does that mean, their glory is the shame? Things that are sinful, they glory in. Their sexual rebellion, they boast about it. They brag about it. They say it's good, they say it's right. That's their shame. Their Desires for this world, their greed, they brag about it. Their laziness. Oh, do you know laziness is a sin? Oh, as a, as a, as a Christian, as a human, God's made us where we need rest. Oh, but we work until he brings us home. No, the enemy wants you to think your life is about kick back, take it easy. 
No, our life is about I'm going to rest, take care of myself so I can keep running as hard as I can until God brings me home. Now we aren't to be lazy people. They brag about their laziness. They brag about their disrespect of authority. Their glory is their shame rather than Christ. Christ is our glory. He's what we glory in. He's who we praise. And the third thing they do, their mind is set on earthly things. They focus on the things of this earth more than the things of heaven. They're concerned about their own kingdom, about their own comfort, about their own ease of life. These are all temptations for all of us. But this is how the enemies of the cross live. But look at what it says. It says, the enemies of the cross, they focus on this earth. Look how we're to focus. In verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Our focus is in heaven. When we focus on this is not our home, we're here for just a few years. In light of eternity, we're here a millisecond. But this is the only time that we're given where we get to work with things on this side of eternity. And you and I, we have access to two things that are eternal. As far as I know, only two things I know that are eternal that we have access to. One is this. This book will stand forever. God has spoken it. God's word is true. It's how he has chosen to speak to his people. It's eternal. And the souls of humanity... Each one of us in this room, we're going to live for eternity. And you're either going to live in eternity in the presence of God, whom you love, whom you've sought, whom you've sought to grow close to, or you're going to live in eternity apart from God as you've rebelled against Him, as you haven't trusted in Savior. He says the end of the enemies of cross is destruction. That's a harsh-sounding thing. I don't like to talk about it. I wish that wasn't true, but that's what Scripture teaches. For those who live apart from Jesus Christ, their end is destruction. That's why, again, your example. You see, the Christian who walks around miserable all the time, who doesn't find their joy in the Lord, everybody looks at him and goes, why would I want to be like that? What does Christ have to offer? No, we draw near to Jesus. We get close to Jesus, and our hope is in Him, and He gives us our joy, and as we do, we become a contagious example of living by faith. See, your life's not your own. We need to stop acting like our life's all about ourselves. We need to invest in those things that are eternal. Our citizenship is in heaven. And he's speaking to the church in Philippi. And guess what? They took pride in their citizenship. You see, Philippi was in the Greek area of the world. The Greeks ruled the world before the Romans. So the Romans wanted to establish a Roman outpost in Greece. So they could rule that area of the world that could rise up against them. So they put it in the city of Philippi, a city that had been ruled by a man named Philip of Macedon, who had been Alexander the Great's father. And they said, if you're born in Philippi, you are a Roman citizen. 
You carry full rights of being a Roman citizen, but you're an outpost of Rome out in the world. Do you know that's what we are? We're not citizens of this world. You're not an Ethiopian citizen, a U.S. citizen, South African citizen, British citizen, whatever it may be. That's not your primary citizenship. Your citizenship is a citizen of heaven if you trusted Jesus Christ. And you're living in an outpost. A citizen in heaven, living in this world, showing people the way to Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we're told that we are ambassadors. Look at this verse. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God makes his appeal through you. Some of you here are ambassadors. We have some ambassadors in our church. What do they do? You come from your nation, and you represent that nation here in Ethiopia. You represent the nation of Nigeria or Tanzania or the Netherlands or wherever it may be. You represent that nation, but you live here. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We represent Jesus here in this world. That's what we do. That's who we are. What does that look like? As we make disciples, we care for the poor. We care for orphans. We do things that are good, right, noble, and God-honoring. We speak edifying words to one another. We look to outdo one another in showing honor to one another. We show no partiality or racism. We put others' needs ahead of ourselves. And when people see us, when people see us living that way, they should go, that tastes sweet. That smells good. And they get a taste. And they get a smell of eternity, of heaven. Many people have said they don't trust Christ because the example of other Christians They'll say that Christians are hypocrites. Well, I'll say that we still struggle in our sin. A hypocrite is a person who puts on one face one place and puts on another face another place. They, go, they come here to church, they look this way, then they go out in the world and they look another way. Well, hospitals, their job is to eradicate disease. But guess who's in the hospital? those with disease. A school, their job is to eradicate ignorance. But guess who's in there? Those who don't know much. A church, we exist to deal with sin through Jesus Christ. The eradication of sin. The eradication of sin's dominance in your life. But guess who's in here? The redeemed who still struggle in their flesh. So, brother and sister, don't be surprised that you still struggle with sin, but don't do it alone. You need examples. You need people that can encourage you. We need one another. So I ask you, are you 
in a place where you have someone speaking truth into your life? Do you have someone that challenges you in your faith, that encourages you in your faith, that speaks the truth to your life? You desperately need it. And let me ask you this. Are you doing that for anybody else? Are there people that you're saying, God, I want to invest my life in others. Who can I begin to disciple? Because sometimes discipleship starts with a person not being a believer and growing to maturity. And sometimes it's adopting Christians who aren't very mature and helping them grow. And sometimes it's taking a Christian who's growing and you help them grow even further. I'll tell you the first thing. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of maturing Christians in this room are serious about their faith. But if you're honest, you're not really discipling anybody. You're missing it. God has so much more for you. And I'll tell you, the place to start is to pray. Pray, God, show me who you would have me invest in. Show me what that looks like in my life. Reveal it to me. Lead it to me. And usually you'll find that God will lead you to someone who's not too far from you. This is Jesus' strategy. It's God's plan. And here Paul is pointing this church. He's been talking about spiritual maturity. And now he's showing them you've got to have an example. So church, may we have examples. May we be faithful examples. May we be quick to confess our sin, quick to trust Christ. There may be some here today who you've never repented of your sin. You think church is about being good. You think it's all about your effort, your works. Well, I want to invite you to trust Christ. He has paid the price for your sin so that you can be reconciled to God Almighty. There is nowhere else for you to go. He's perfect, we're not. I encourage you to consider Jesus. And I invite those who don't know the Lord that today might be the day of salvation. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Your word is good and gracious and true. We desperately need your word. We desperately need your truth. And Lord, we confess that we are a people who quickly get distracted. Lord, the enemy wants us to turn into critics of the church rather than faithful members. The enemy wants us to develop a hard heart rather than a soft, tender heart to the person in need. The enemy wants us to grow in pride of our position and our place in life rather than lowering ourselves to be faithful to your call to make disciples. So Lord, until the day you return or bring us home, may we taste the great joy of faithfully making disciples. Lord, I pray if there are those here today desiring somebody to invest in them, lead them to the right person. Bring that into their life. And Lord, for those who are investing in no one, 
I pray that they would reach out to you and that you would lead them to a place that they can invest. To those who don't know how to do that, I pray that you would help them get into one of our trainings here at church that Pastor Mike leads that can help them prepare to make disciples. Lord, may we be faithful and may we taste the great joy of the fruit of that. In Jesus' name, amen.